We are doing something a little bit different today, and I have the joy of being able to share a video of our most recent baptism, which happened just a few weeks ago. And as you know, if, you're, if you've been here with us, you know that the only thing that is difficult for us to do here in this worship space where we meet on Sundays is to do our baptisms here. Just physically, logistically, uh, it's just not possible. And so we have been doing everything that we can. We've been trying so hard to figure out how to bring the celebration and the power of our baptism celebrations um, back into our community. And we've put together this video in order to do that. We're excited to share it with you today. So let's go ahead and roll the video. So, you know, it's not just a dunk in the water, it's really a dunk in the earth. My name is Tiffany and I want to be baptized because, um, because I love Jesus with all my heart and Jesus gives me life. I've come to realize that through my good days and my not so good days, God has always been with me. I have fallen and stumbled along the way and He has been beside me every single time. Honestly, before I became a part of NBCC, uh, I had lost my connection to God. I just didn't really have a strong faith. During last, I think, 2016, their Easter celebration, was the first time in seven years that I honestly felt emotionally connected to God. And I feel like this is the next step for me personally. So my name is Noreen Lanford. And by the grace of God, I have the body I now have. I was using a wheelchair and a scooter in 13, 2013. I had diabetes, high blood pressure, 50% kidney failure, and as far as I was concerned, I was about to die. I had given up. But God's grace changed my life and brought me to NBCC. My thought processes moved from dream and gloom to belief and trust in God, to believe in the good happening all around me. His grace gives me love, joy, faithfulness, calmness, self-control and a purpose-fulfilled life. I'm learning to connect with fellow believers. I'm connected to my son and grandchildren in ways that I could never have believed possible. So I say, I surrender, Lord. Bring it on. I am so glad that I am your child. May I do your will for the rest of my life. I look forward to seeing you when you call me home. And by the way, my kidney function is now normal. I no longer have diabetes, and I no longer have high blood pressure, and I've had other miracles happen. God is a wonderful, giving God. I 
am in the second half of my life, and God is going to do something. I am waiting for that kidney next year, and when you see me, I'm going to say, how you like me now? Thank you, Jesus. All right. Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> so this video is actually going to set the tone for the message uh, for today. I want you to keep it percolating in the back of your mind, you know, simmering like gravy or like, you know, something roasting in the oven. So just keep the images and the testimonies in your mind as we move into Scripture today, as we engage with what God has for us. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at an interesting parable today, one of my favorites. Uh, it's from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It's often called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And I'll go ahead and read it for us. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. You may be seated. So over the last several weeks, we've been going through a teaching series entitled Dream Crazy Big. And we've been in the middle of our holiday outreach, our Be Crazy Rich holiday outreach, where we've been following the invitation and encouragement of Scripture for those in this world to live richly, the people, 
those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, that we have the opportunity to live richly, not by amassing more things for ourselves, but by being rich in good deeds and in serving others, and in this way, honoring God and extending God's love and grace and generosity to the world around us. And as we've gone through this series, there's been a core message that God wants us to have big dreams to make a difference in this world because God is in the business of redeeming this world and he works his redemption through his people, through you and me as we live like Jesus lived, as we love like Jesus loved. This is how God impacts the world. And last week, Pastor Herman challenged us to let our light shine. And in a world that is full of pain and injustice and grief, we can let our light shine in the darkness of this world if, if we trust God enough to live like Jesus did, with uncommon generosity and uncommon, uncommon service to others. And we looked at a verse found in both the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. Uh, in Mark 10.45, it's when Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, and he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, this is how Jesus lived and how he loved. He came not to be served, but to serve others. And he came to give his life with incredible, amazing, uncommon generosity in order to be a ransom for many, for you and for me. So when we think about the invitation, the calling of God to live like Jesus did, to live with uncommon generosity and service, one of the things that we need to be honest about is that it isn't easy. Uncommon generosity and uncommon service require sacrifice. They require us to give something of ourselves. This was true for Jesus. This will be true for us as well. And when we think about living our life in this way, having a lifestyle of uncommon generosity and uncommon service, one of the immediate issues that comes up is do we trust God enough to live in this way? And sometimes life can make it especially hard to trust God enough to live this way. When our life encounters pain and grief and suffering, the questions that invariably come up in our minds, in our hearts is, God, where are you? God, do you have my back? God, can I trust you to be good? Can I trust you that if I, if I live a life that depends on you, that is uncommonly generous, that is uncommonly focused on others, is it going to be worth it? Are you going to be fair? And so the premise of today's message is that unless we're honest about the challenges that we faced, unless we're honest about the things that can hold us back from fully trusting God, then we're going to find it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to move forward into the things that God has for us. Uncommon generosity and uncommon service require sacrifice. And we need to be able to wrestle with God and engage with God in the things that make it 
hard for us. And in the passage that we read, Jesus is teaching about one of the fundamental faith dynamics that makes it particularly hard to live with uncommon generosity and uncommon service. And it speaks directly to this question of trust. If we're not sure that God is for us, if we're not sure that God is going to be fair to us, if, it's not, if we're not sure that God is going to have our back, then it'll be virtually impossible for us to live boldly with uncommon generosity and uncommon service. So let's move into this passage and take a deeper dive as to what it's saying. All right. So I want us to use our imagination so we can fully get into this passage. Imagine you are one of the workers. You are trying to feed your family. You show up early in the marketplace because it's harvest time. You know that there are a lot of landowners in the area that are looking for workers for their field. So you're up at the crack of dawn. Lo and behold, there's a landowner that comes by and says, if you work in my vineyard today, I'll pay you a denarius. And you agree, you go with them. You start work. The sun just rising in the sky slowly gets warmer Slowly, you start to sweat. You start to smell a little bit. Your arms start to ache a little bit from the repetitive motion. At nine o'clock, another group of workers arrives. You're grateful for their presence. There's so much work to be done in the vineyard. You're glad that there are more people to help out to get the work done. At 12 o'clock, there's another group of workers that arrives. You look over at them. You're kind of envious. They look fresh. They have lots of energy. You think, wow, must be so nice to start your work at noon, and you've already been working half the day. At three o'clock, another group of workers arrives, and you're exhausted by this time. And you look at them, and you're like, man, they get to start work at three o'clock. The sun's already starting to go down. The temperature's getting cooler. Must be nice for them. And then at five o'clock in the afternoon, another group of workers shows up. And this just makes no sense to you at all. You think, how can it be worth it for the landowner? What work are they going to get done? And, you know, why, why would they even show up when there's less than an hour left of the workday? The day ends. You notice the landowner speaking to the foreman. The foreman calls forward these people who started at the very end of the day, and he gives them each a denarius, a full day's wage for work. When you see that, you start getting really excited. All the exhaustion drops off. You think, man, if this landowner is so generous that he's going to pay a full day's wage for people that worked less than an hour What does that mean about what he's going to pay me? I mean, I worked about 10 times as long as they did. Maybe that means that he's going to pay me 10 denarii. And you start to think about the difference that that would make for your family to have that kind of money. And you kind of see people who started working at 3 o'clock in the afternoon go forward. They also get a denarius. You thought, well, that's still incredibly good for them. But then when you step forward to receive your wage, you also only get a denarius. And you're angry. 
you're disappointed, you're frustrated, and you almost forget the denarius that you're holding in your hand when you say, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So what are you feeling as you hear this parable? If you're feeling a little bit disturbed or uneasy, I want to suggest that that means that you're engaging with the parable in exactly the way that Jesus wants you to engage with the parable. So part of what disturbs us about this parable is if we know the context, Jesus tells a lot of parables about landowner and a vineyard and workers in the vineyard. And in each of these parables, the landowner represents God, the vineyard represents God's land, and the workers represent God's people. So this parable is fundamentally about how God interacts with his people. And the whole parable has been set up to raise the question of whether the early workers have been treated fairly. Another way to say it is that Jesus brings together all of the unspoken questions that many of us so frequently have. Can I really trust God? When tough things happen in life, when I end up in a place that I never expected to be, when life happens and my heart is broken, is God for me or against me? Does God have my back? And all these questions boil down in this parable to a single question, is God fair? Is God fair? Now, I think for most of us, if we had our way, we'd much prefer a rewritten parable. We'd much prefer a parable where it was obvious to everyone that God was generous and gracious and everyone left with an amazing experience of God's goodness, right? So, the workers that were last hired, they could have received a denarius, and they were thrilled, right? Because they only worked an hour, they have a full day's wage, they leave having experienced the generosity of God. And the workers that started in the middle of the day, they, we, we wish that they had received like five denarii, and they would have been like, wow, this is way more than we were expecting, and they also would have left having experienced the goodness of God. And then what if the people who started work at the beginning of the day had received 10 denarii and they are thrilled with what they have received and they also leave having experienced the goodness of God? Wouldn't that be a better parable, right? A happier ending? Isn't that how we hope that God treats us? But in this parable, Jesus turns the idea of fairness on its head. Jesus forces us to wrestle with something that seems totally unfair to most of us. Because the people who work the hardest, who sacrifice the most, who were the most diligent and the most faithful, didn't make out any better than the ones who barely worked an hour. This bothers us, right? It bothers us at work or in school. If we're on a team project— and we end up with the lion's share of the work because we're on a team with some people that are particularly lazy and don't get their work done. And so we have to cover for them and we 
work as hard as we can, and we end up with a result, and if our work isn't acknowledged, it feels unfair to us. And it bothers us when it occurs in our households, right? Whether you're living with roommates or whether, you know, you're living with your spouse and there are dishes to be done and cooking and cleaning around the house. And when you feel like you do the lion's share of the work and it's unacknowledged or taken for granted, you feel like it's unfair. Okay, no sharp elbows right now to the person that you came with. (laughs) I don't want fights breaking out in the middle of my message. Pastor Dan does most of our marriage counseling. You can see him, okay? The point is, we are designed to be attuned to justice and fairness, especially when it concerns us, right? When we feel like we're trying our best and doing the right thing and living life the right way, we fundamentally expect that God should take note and bless us accordingly. And when life doesn't turn out that way, when we face unexpected pain or grief or disappointment, we ask the same questions that the early workers did. God, how is this fair? And if we can't trust God to treat us fairly— then it becomes virtually impossible for us to live with uncommon generosity and uncommon service to others. I want you to notice one more thing. This whole parable is constructed to highlight the feelings of the earliest workers. You know, if the purpose of the parable, if the landowner simply wanted to demonstrate that he was generous to the later workers, he could have paid them in a way that would have sidestepped all the controversy. He could have just paid them in the order that they started working. The earliest workers would have come. They would have received a denarius. That's what they agreed to. They wouldn't have known anything else. They would have left happy. Then the landowner could have paid the people that arrived later one denarius, and everyone would have been fine controversy averted. But it wasn't just that, you know, Jesus didn't read the right management book. It's not that he missed, you know, how to win friends and influence people in your vineyard. Jesus tells this parable specifically in a way where the, the landowner has the foreman call the people who started working last to get their pay first. And so he puts the issue of fairness for the early workers front and center in this parable. So how do we answer this question? Is God fair? So let me start by sharing how I usually think about fairness in my life. And I'm going to use a little illustration for this. This is the representation of what typically goes on in my head. All right. So... This is a little balance scale. Yes, it's designed for kindergartners. That's because when most of us think about fairness, we approach the issue with the emotional posture of when we were in kindergarten. (laughs) I know this is true. I have two young daughters in my home. They're past kindergarten age right now, but fairness has always been a big deal in our home. And the reality is, fairness is a big deal for every one of us We just hide it better, usually. All right. So let me tell you how this scale tends to 
work for me. There's a plus side of the scale and a minus side of the scale. And when good things happen in life, I have a good time with a friend, I receive a gift that I wasn't expecting, uh, work is going well, I receive a bonus that is a surprise, um, you eat a great Thanksgiving meal that you're super excited about. Life is good. God is good. It's easy to feel grateful. Life feels fair. But then there are other things in life that happen that tilt the scales in the other direction. And sometimes they're big things, and sometimes they're small things. So you get into a fender bender, and all of a sudden, you have some bills to pay that you weren't expecting, and you're inconvenienced, and your time goes into something that you totally didn't want to spend time on. Or one of your closest relationships, you get into a fight with a loved one or a friend, and you're stressed out, and you feel like, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this, and the scale starts to tip in the other direction. Sometimes it's not even something that happens to you. It's just something that you encounter that feels like it tips the scale. So, you know, I'm on social media too much. I see all the vacations that you all are taking, and I think, how is that fair? Like, what, when is my, you know, and it feels like something drops into this side of the scale, and life feels a little bit more unfair. So my guess is you have one of these as well. It's invisible, it's in your mind or in your heart. These are delicate instruments. Things can even move back and forth between these buckets, right? So uh, for some of us, there's a period where we're single, where hoping to find someone, to get married. When we're single, we see all these other people getting matched up, paired off, getting married, and we feel like, that's not fair. Where's the person that I'm looking for? For some of us, we find that person. We meet someone that blows our socks off. That is so extraordinary. We're excited to get married to them. Amazingly, they say yes. This thing that we've been longing for moves over onto the plus side. We're overjoyed. We're thrilled. And then like a year or two into our marriage, we realize that marriage is incredibly difficult. And honest truth, most people at some point who are married will think, oh, I must have married the wrong person. Okay, most people will. You, it's something that you deal with. And you start to look at your single friends and you start to envy them thinking, oh, they have so much freedom and choice. And how is life fair? Things can move back and forth. The other thing about this scale is that because it's not real, the things in the buckets don't stay the same weight over time. And sometimes that's helpful. There may be some disappointments that you're facing. Some, you know, you got slighted at work or someone said something and it hurt for a while, but you dealt with it. You got over it. And things that felt like a big minus got a little bit less weighty. Scale tips back the other way you're okay. But just as often, even more often, there are things that are significant blessings in our life, things that we hope for, things that we dreamed of, and they happen and we're happy about it for a little while. And then we take them for granted. We take our time and our focus off of them. They cease to be as significant to us. And our attention 
just is off of these things and they start to get disappear from this side of the plus bucket and they just don't tip the scales anymore. So for most of us, we have one of these and we live in the reality of this shifting scale as we deal with circumstances, as we see the lives of other people. And sometimes things happen in our lives that will be a big tip in one direction or the other. But as the scales tip back and forth, we wrestle with God about whether God is treating us fairly, whether or not we can trust God that the scales are going to tip in the right direction for our lives. Now, one of the things that we have to acknowledge, we live in a pretty amazing place. And for many of us, we live in a place where things have the potential to be on the positive side for an extended period of time. We may have a job that we've always dreamed of. We may be able to enjoy California weather and be physically active and stay healthy for an extended season of our lives. But the reality that we have to acknowledge is if we're just looking at the circumstances of this life, inevitably none of us can permanently dodge pain and suffering. The reality is, as we get older, our bodies will break down. The people that we love will be lost to us. And if we're just looking at the circumstances of this world, invariably, they are going to tip towards the minus side. And we're going to be asking those questions of God. Can I trust you? Are you going to come through for me? God... Are you fair? The amazing thing about this parable is that Jesus doesn't just teach this simplistic lesson about God's grace and generosity. This parable strikes right at the heart of the most wrenching questions that we ask in our lives. How does God's grace and generosity interact with our real pain, our real frustration, our real disappointments and unmet expectations in our lives? So how does Jesus help us in this parable answer the question, is God fair? Is he good? Can we trust him? So when we look at the parable, the early morning workers that have worked the whole day, they aren't the only ones in the parable. They are also the ones that are hired at the very end of the day. And these workers, they're in another translation, they're called 11th hour workers. It's where we get the phrase, at the 11th hour, at the very end. These 11th hour workers, they received a denarius too, but because they have no way of pretending that they earned what they received, they know that the denarius that they were given was only given to them because of the grace and generosity of the landowner. And so they're able to engage with what they receive with joy and gratitude. And their perspective is totally different from the early workers because the early workers are able to feel that they earned just what they deserved. They earned a denarius because they had put in the work. And in fact, if the landowner is going to be generous to other people, then don't they deserve more? And that drives their sense of anger and frustration and resentment. 
So here's the key question. When it comes to us, when it comes to our relationship with God, are any of us truly early morning workers? What God has provided to us, what God has worked in our lives, is it really just like a denarius? Is it really just like, you know, these toy little bears that fall into one bucket or another and they shift the balance just a little bit like the other good and bad things that happen in our lives? The key to understanding this parable is recognizing that Jesus is the one that is teaching the parable and Jesus teaches this parable knowing that he is going to give his life for those who are hearing it. Remember the verse that we looked at in Mark? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life as a ransom for you and for me. He paid the price with his life to set us free. He provided what we could not provide for ourselves. He provided full reconciliation with God. He provided full forgiveness for all of our sins, for all the wrong that we've done and everything that we've left undone. He brought us into God's family, into intimate relationship with our creator who designed us for eternal intimacy with him. And so let me ask you this. What is your freedom worth? What is forgiveness worth to you? What is the unconditional love poured out on your life worth to you? And what Jesus is trying to help us to see is that how God interacts with our life is not just another small thing that tips the scale a little bit. How Jesus interacts with our life is like there's a giant weight of God's goodness and love that comes down on the plus side of the scale. And it literally breaks the scale on our behalf. This works without the... It's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. It's tricky with the, um, with the cloth, I think. All right. Try it one more time. I want you to see this. All right. Literally breaks the scale on one side. And it doesn't matter what else life throws at us. It doesn't matter how many things hit the minus side. They're real and they're minuses, but nothing can tip the weight because the weight of God's love and glory and goodness has been poured out in favor for us. So this is why Jesus is able to say to people who follow him, in John 16, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus doesn't shy away from the reality of pain and brokenness in this world. In this world, we will have trouble. 
That applies to everyone. That applies to people who follow him, to you and to me. We're not exempt. 11 out of the 12 disciples, the apostles of the early church, were martyred for their faith. They were murdered because of what they believed. God didn't protect them from that. The early church suffered amazing persecution. And yet, because they understood the greatness of what God had done for them in Jesus, they were able to live and to love as Jesus did. When God breaks this scale of fairness in our lives that, you know, waves back and forth, and when the weight of his goodness falls on the plus side of the scale, we're able to stop worrying about if something is going to be fair for us. And the way that God has built us, that we are so sensitive to fairness, we're, uh, we're able to turn that out so that we are concerned about fairness and justice for those around us, for those who are overlooked in this world, and we're able to engage with others with uncommon generosity and uncommon service. We desperately want others to experience the same freedom, the same grace, the same experience of forgiveness and love that we ourselves have received. And we can be bold and courageous. We cannot sweat the small things and even the big things that come our way because we know that God's love has fallen on the plus side of the scale for us. And there is nothing that can separate us from that love. And this is the, you know, this is the heaviest thing that I could put on it without literally breaking the scale. In reality, it's like taking this podium that takes four people to even lift one inch and it would be moving it and putting it on the plus side. Nothing is going to shift what God has done for you and me. So the question that is raised by this parable, is God fair? actually has a surprising answer. The answer is no. God is not fair. God is unfair. He's been unfair to every one of us. He's been unfair in our favor. God has been unfair in his grace and love and mercy in our favor to us all. So from time to time, we're tempted to think that we are early morning workers. We're tempted to think that God owes us more, that we've put in so much effort and time. But we're just fooling ourselves. We're just taking for granted all that God has done. Our attention has drifted and this weight starts to lift. But when we return our attention to the reality of what God has done for us, we realize that we are all late afternoon workers. We are all the ones that were invited in at the 11th hour. We are all ones that what God has given us, we don't deserve at all. It's been a pure expression of his grace and it's tipped the scales in our favor forever. So this is the power that we see when we look at the baptisms when we see people testify that the most important thing that has happened in their lives is the transforming work that God has done and nothing else can even come close. 
And there was one other testimony that particularly struck me um, that I just wanted to share. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to share the stories from our community. Um, and this one is from Trevor. I wanted to run it. This is Trevor. Trevor, close on. Um, my name is Trevor. Uh, I'm 30 years old. Um, today um, is, is, means a lot for me. My mother um, passed away when I was three months old. Once again, my father's involved in my life. He's been there, but with the mother's absence. look for ways to be nurtured. You look for ways for the love and that comfort. And sometimes my, my choices weren't always the best. They weren't always healthy. Um, but today I, I get the word as far as timely. God is timely with his ways. Um, but going through my, my, my journey in life and coming back to moving back to San Jose with my dad, I've been humbled to have my nephew here with me. Um, He's the only one that's here, and I've, not that I'm upset, but I know God is with me, Amen. and I know my mom is with me. And I always feel secure and come to know God's love in a personal way, and that's my hope for you. And I know what she means by that now, because even with her absence, I found people, I found family who have supported me, who have been there for me, who have loved me, and God has never left me, and I want to just proclaim that. I know God's with me now, but he's going to be with me for the rest of my life. So, amen. Thank you. This is your profession of faith. That Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I think what particularly moved me about Trevor's story is that he experienced the power of God in his life. But one of the ways that he experienced it was through the love and care that he found in other people, in this community, in people that he met that demonstrated the reality of God's love to him. And it reminds me that all of us can have that impact with our lives if we love others and if we live like Jesus lived, if we love as Jesus loved, if we express God's uncommon generosity and service into this world around us. And one of the things that strikes me about the testimonies that we've heard about Noreen's testimony and Johnny's testimony and Trevor's testimony is that as they shared about the incredible love that they have found through God in the love of Jesus, they were moved into uncommon generosity and uncommon service. Noreen is at our administrative office every week helping us to prepare for Sundays. Johnny gets dialysis every week. He's been in chemo, and he shows up almost every Sunday with a huge smile on his face to greet people who are coming in to worship. Amen. 
and Trevor has been involved with our youth ministry. Even, not even, knowing the pain of not, uh, the absence of not having a mother as he grew up. He's there for our youth as a mentor and as someone who cares and is pouring his life out into our youth as they're going through a transitional season of their lives. This is what it looks like when we know that God has poured out the weight of God's love, has fallen on the scales of fairness in our lives, and we are blessed in a way that can never be removed, then we are free to love and to care and to serve with uncommon generosity, uncommon service, in a way that helps other people to encounter Jesus in the way that we have. Helps people to experience the full measure of God's love in a way that will make all the difference for their lives in the way that God has made all the difference for our lives. So as we close today, I want to invite you. We're concluding our Dream Crazy Big series. I want to invite you to think about the crazy dreams that God has put in your heart that can make a difference in this world. And I want to encourage you to pursue those dreams knowing that God is for you and not against you. He's been unfair eternally in your favor and nothing can ever tip the scales the other way. And as you think about the reality of God's love, you might be in a place where you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time as your Lord and Savior. 